On any given investigation, I work with an array of different operatives with varying skill sets. Among the most unique is Dre. I met Dre doing counter-sex trafficking work. He's a former Navy SEAL who specializes in cybersecurity and is one of the best surveillance operatives I've ever worked with. Today, Dre and I will be talking about the role that technology can play in an operation, why there's no room for ego in what we do, and some close calls we've had with criminals over the years. From Storic Media, you're listening to Codename Siren, a true crime podcast with Nina Hobson. To start with, can you just tell, you know, the listeners your background as much as you can? And I know some of it you can't, but just give us an overview of who you are. I joined the Navy in 99 and got into um, special operations and did that from, you know, 99 to 2019. Spent most of that time doing, you know, battlefield collection, doing you know, operational preparation of the environment, which is essentially, uh, you know, getting to know, you know, not only the social climate, the actual environment, the economic climate and figuring out, you know, how to, you know, the U.S. can fit into that battle space. But, you know, I did that for five or six deployments. 2019, I retired and now I'm doing entrepreneurship, uh, running a small contract company and trying to get government contracts as well as, uh, you know, working with you luckily and doing super fun stuff in that way. I think we met doing a course that was, remember we were doing the course, we were working it with the sex trafficking charity that we worked with then, but we initially, we were on a very technical course. And as we all know, tech is not my thing, but obviously we became friends. We again had different backgrounds, but we knew that our worlds could gel in what we were both doing. So then you came on board working with me and are actually the most professional surveillance operative that I've ever worked with. What a sweet thing to say. You know, what's funny is I, I, I remember the night we met when we went out to barbecue and I remember us sitting next to each other, having not known each other, we're all jammed into like one bench and this is up in Temecula or something. And, uh, you commenced to tell stories, these amazing, these like, I guess, shocking stories for me, having been around the world a few times. And here you are sitting next to me telling me crazy stories. And it was just, you know, obviously a, 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 a very intriguing and colorful past that you have. And, you know, I think that we kind of immediately drew to each other because of our intelligence background and the amount of information that you know we shared with you know our past and it kind of like lined up and we we really we really meshed almost right away and uh, found opportunities to work almost immediately in the future together which I thought was super fun but again it's your you know your character number one but also you know very colorful past that you have um, a lot of cool stories that I you know found very interesting and uh, you know since then we've done pretty cool stuff I mean we worked on counter sex trafficking jobs to start with with and then I obviously I understood more of your capabilities and I think there's there's one job that really springs to mind where I hadn't seen you in the capacity as a the leader that you naturally fell into now obviously I understand that you know your service career but that operation was when initially we planned a meet at the W hotel I remember that guy being a fraud and he was Somebody had requested that you get in touch with them and create a relationship in order to get him to commit to another another financial commitment in order to catch him in the the act of the act of fraud or 
um, get him to commit to another project where that he wasn't going to be able to complete because he really had no company. I went in to do the meet with him. You guys were all outside. He came out, team picked him up, and then he drove. I remember he drove like a lunatic and he was doing counter surveillance. And that's when you took control and was like, you know, guys, this is what we need to do. I just really remember that because you just took the lead and you actually apologized for doing that at the end. But And I was like, no, you like you did it. You owned it. And as I say, your surveillance skills and you're a leader without a doubt. And um, that really impressed me. And and obviously, Amy, she was really impressed by you. And to get Amy's <laughs> vote of approval. <laughs> and now she's like, I just want to be with Dre. I don't want to go with anyone else. Honestly, by both of you guys, I'm pretty shocked about, you know, I, I come out of like, you know, doing stuff for a long time at the, you know, um, operational and tactical level. And I come out and I see other people working. And it's, you know, it's hard to find people of good caliber, of quality caliber, right, uh, in this industry, specifically. Specifically that, you know, um, that industry, the intelligence, the surveillance, technical surveillance. And there's a lot of people out there that can, you know, buy some stuff off the shelf and try and make it work. But I do remember being really impressed, you know, not only with your ability to be on target on the X and making decisions on the fly right there. I, I do recall there being kind of, you know, kind of some fumbles and some, you know, misses here and there. And then it we luckily, this guy meanders into the box. And I was like, wait, what's this guy wearing? I came over the radio and people are stepping on each other on the radio. And I remember yelling, clear the net, clear the net. I remember saying, hey, target this direction, this, this speed, whatever, going to this, this location. And, and, and then everybody kind of like locked in. And I was like, okay, I think we can work together. I think we're going to be able to make this work. We contacted him again and I met him at the burger shop. And that's when I went and grabbed Amy because suddenly I had to sit opposite the same guy. And I remember going in her house and saying, you have to come with me. I need a, I need you as a, as a decoy. And then we sat opposite him again and then we, we took him home and then you did all sorts of stuff when we got to his house because we couldn't get in because it was the gated car park. Right. Because it was a big apartment complex and the parking the parking garage was sub-level but you could still see it from the street and then he had gated entry multi-door gated entry into the complex yeah and it was super tight in there and all the doors were facing each other so we're worried about you know we're worried about getting caught or you know exposed or somebody watching us from the other side of a peephole or something that was a big day and they always are that's the thing that people you know they watch law and order and they think you know everything's solved really quickly but even to that point there was so much background work that had gone into that operation to get to that point and we often only get one chance it, it actually was look as much as anything else that we quickly had a plan b to okay we've lost him how do we re-engage with him tonight we think on our feet you know people invest in not only business, but they invest in other people and they invest their time with with big hearts and, and trust, hoping that it, it does work out. And somebody needs to be there to, to fix it when it doesn't, or at least create a level of threat because the U.S. government or, you know, the courts are not always going to rule in favor of, you know, the, the uh, person that's claiming they were wronged, you know, um, but I do appreciate being a part of that. You know, we're working on another job in Kansas 
And obviously it's live and it's an ongoing one, so we can't go into fine detail of what we're actually doing and the strategy that we're using. I'm very invested in this because the target's a, a bad guy and he's yeah. he's really got under my skin, which is rare. But um, the things that we are now doing, because they're sophisticated and because they're career criminals, we kind of get in the opportunity to, you know, use our skills and say, well, they're not going to know or think we've ever done this. Yeah, I think the fact that they um, believe that they're safe and that enough time has passed that nobody's paying attention when it when when the operation does kick off, I think it's going to kill the future of their career. Honestly, they're not going to have they're going to have to change professions because there's no there's no coming back from that from what we're gonna what we plan on. I'm excited about it. I'm yeah, excited to see it you know come to fruition. Yeah. You know what? I'm getting the feeling right now of like other operations that I've done where it's like, oh yeah, you can just clearly see the road and how it's going to work out. And then you look back after the operation's over and you're like, that went nothing like I planned. I had, <laughs> I mean, and here we are talking up our great operation that we have multi-phase projects for. And I know we're going to look back at this someday and be like, <laughs> I had never thought it was going to go that way. You know, it's, it's quite uh, I, I know we're going to be shocked like two or three months from now, for sure. You know, the the amount of work and effort that goes into us getting it right on that day. And it's not just about, oh, let's rock up and let's knock on a door and let's do this. There's so much. Even, I mean, we had a, a briefing yesterday about the Kansas job and even things to the day that this is going to happen are really, really important. I think that's why I got into this work in the beginning. Like, don't get me wrong, doing special operations is fantastic because, you know, it's kinetic. It's the it's the best job for a young man possible. You know, you're you know jumping out of airplanes, gunfights, blowing stuff up. You know, they give you a you know ten thousand pound vehicle to drive all over a foreign country and get shot at. And I mean, literally the best job in the world, right? Immediately, I was intrigued with, uh, well, how do we get here? How, how did I end up knowing this guy was bad? And after giving, after receiving a bunch of bad intelligence from other organizations in the space, I realized that we were, you know, low priority. We were low on the totem pole for when it came to quality, you know, intel. And I started getting very curious about how we get this. And so I started volunteering to go on operations to collect viable intel or inf information, technically, information to improve our, I guess, increase uh, increase our, our, our total you know, target success rate. And I was just tired of being, you know, used as some, you know, dummy on the battlefield, me and 16 other guys, where, you know, we would be given targets and we're like, oh, that was completely wrong. We just embarrassed ourselves. We, we, you know, blew off somebody's door for no reason. And, you know, nobody got killed. We never cost any lives or anything, but ultimately like nobody wants that. You're, you know, shaming America. You're giving black eye to USG and making our, our footprint around the world, you know, um, you know, even though you're making it bigger, it's, it's actually, you're affecting the reputation of the U S. So, you, you know, if you do one without the other, you're basically failing the mission. So I became obsessed with trying to figure out how do I get more quality intelligence, more, more quality information I can process into, you know, very accurate and detailed intelligence for, you know, higher success rate on the battlefield. And there is so much work that, like you're saying, that goes into leading up to a good operation. I think people underestimate and it's like, uh, I, I don't, it's one of those things that, you know, <laughs> Uh, you you, you want to charge people what they, we charge people what they should be being charged for this, but we're not a minimum wage company. And more so for every hour or two hours in the field, we've done 30 to 40 hours of backside, you know, 
uh, information, you know, verification and qualifying the target and ensuring that, you know, we have exactly the right information so we don't blow it out our ass when we get out there. And uh, nothing can prevent us from being 100% all the time, but the preparation is key. And that's the preparation of the environment and understanding where you're working and what you're doing when you finally get there. And then when you do find the perfect target and you find the center of gravity, where are you going to get the greatest effect for the least amount of effort? Zero loss mentality. We don't work in large teams, right? We have very few people. We don't expend resources massively. We don't throw away a bunch of cash. We don't, you know, we're very, very conscious of our resources because we don't have many and we can't use them multiple times. And, um, you know, dedicated to the team. We're dedicated to accomplishing that mission and it may not end up the way we imagine, but we're going to finish you know, what we promise. We're going to execute. We're going to deliver what we promise. When I started the non-for-profit, it was because I was working with all of you guys and we, everybody gave everything for nothing, which is brilliant because that's everyone's passion. And could we all afford to do that for nothing for every single day of the week? We all would. So that was why I looked around the room and I was like, you know what? Governments wouldn't be able to afford the skills that are in this room. And everybody has a place and a expertise. And so that was one of the reasons I wanted to set up Operation Shadow was so that we could make more of a difference. But moving slightly away from what we're talking about, I want to ask you a question, which I've probably not ever asked before, because obviously we did the the last job and Harrison, who obviously adores you and has you on a pedestal and Harrison's Harrison right but you worked on the job and though the Amy and Harrison were both on the job and they were actually outside we were in our vehicles separately but what what's it like knowing that and you can be perfectly honest because I've actually spoken about this in a previous podcast about what it's like working with the kids but and obviously I'm I'm in that moment I'm the boss but what does it feel like for you knowing that they're my kids does it make any difference to you or is it they're just operatives you know I, I like any you know team lead and I kind of imagine myself a team lead like in those situations even though I'm really not I'm, I'm always thinking about hey you know timing resources um, what's gonna you know drop the bottom out of this and um, like Like I say, like team guys, our superpower is risk mitigation. Like we can do a lot of amazing things. I know a lot of guys who do a lot of amazing things outside of work as well as, you know, on the job. But I believe, I truly believe that a superpower is like our risk mitigation, our ability to identify those things that will destroy our potential for success. And we create contingencies for those. How do we solve that problem? How are we going to, when this happens, how are we going to work around it? And while I'm in the moment and I'm looking, you know, at the kids like on target, I'm thinking to myself, okay, so this guy's what's this guy's level of attention? How aware is he? How tail wise is he? By tail wise, Dre means how likely is it that the target knows he's being followed? And it doesn't look like he's very tail wise. So the kids' demeanor or professionalism or ability to behave in public, meaning, you know create the, the proper demeanor and not, not give away or blow the operation um, is not very, very high at risk. Um, and I'm going to go directly to them. I'll communicate VFR directly to them. Like, Hey, take your hand off your face. Hey, don't do this. Hey, don't face the target directly. And I'll tell them, I'll give them tips and tricks, but I mostly didn't need to. I don't for one second ever think, Ooh, I'm telling Nina, you need to go do this. Harrison, don't do that. I'll tell your mom. Like, I'm not doing that. Right. It's a, uh, 
they're they're sharp kids and they they you could tell you know like I tell all the guys I, I've worked with in the past it's like if you have any desire to be good you're going to take advice and these guys that want to come in and they they don't want to be good they just want to be on mission you tell them their priorities are messed up they they their their ego is going to get damaged and they you know fight back and they argue which we ran into which we have run into before and uh, that's how I really delineate the difference between a person I want to work with and don't. If at any given time somebody says, hey, uh, dumbass, your brake lights are on. It's like, oh, oh, God, I do that all the time. My bad. Let me fix myself. Uh, thanks, guys. Hey, heads up, everybody. Brake lights. Watch yourself. Keep your foot off your brake, whatever. On the other hand, if I have a person that wants to improve, it's super easy to just say, hey, don't do this. Hey, do me a favor. Hey, check this corner. Hey, cover down on, and they're going to move. It's like moving chess pieces on a board. If you have one of your, you know, chess pieces that has an ego and fights you, I mean, there's just no working with that. And we never run into that with, you know, Amy and Harrison. They're um, not only extremely professional, but they want to be good. And that, I don't mean good as in like good natured because they're sweet kids, but they want to be a quality professional in this realm. And they don't, and they obviously don't want to let mom down, man. Let's be honest. Like, well, I'm not sure that Harrison is exactly the same when he is with me as he is with you. I think I get a little <laughs> bit of the ego, but you know, he's young and, and, um, but no, I mean, I mean, they love working with you and it's been an, an amazing experience yeah. for them which I really appreciate because, you know, who gets to do that to be working with people like yourself who are so professional and have had such a life and you are, you're speaking through experience. You're not, and I think that particular operative that we, we both know we were just talking about, that was the thing. The ego was way too big. So to go from, you know, meeting a new team, I mean, I hope I don't come across as being, you know, I'm, I'm the boss or I, because that's not how I view us at all as a team. We're a team. And yes, there are times when I will ask, well, I always ask you for your advice and your opinion. And occasionally there is a time when I have to say, no, actually this is, this is what we're doing. But we're such a family when we're working. And I think it's a unique relationship. It's certainly like when I was in the police force, you know, you worked a night shift with somebody, you got to know an awful lot about them because it was a night shift and you were sat around and you were, you know, I always got, I've got problems at home, Nina. Okay. Tell me about it on night shift. And I mean, obviously we do lots of operations that are daily through the night, days on end. And um, you get to know who your team are. And it's really super important that you t- you like your team mm-hmm. and that you can rely on your team because nine times out of 10, like you say, we've, we've done a risk assessment and we know where the trigger points are. But if something goes wrong and you've got to rely on the guy in the car behind or the person sat next to you to potentially save your life, you know, it's, that's so important. I mean, we had some talent. We had some talent that day. Um, you know, we obviously had you, we had the kids. And then, you know, what did you have? Like a couple, you had a couple special operators. You had a couple FBI guys. You had an FBI agent. It can be intimidating when people are coming over the radio saying things that you don't know and you're afraid to catch up, you know? Um, but it's it's easy when, you know, you, you show up, you know, being humble and have an attitude of I'm willing to learn. You can come over the radio and say, hey, what does that mean? And 
I don't understand that. Okay, this is what that means. No problem. It's always important for me to make sure the team knows that, hey, at any given time, if you're not 100% sure, say say something. And we don't need to get into a long dialogue about it, but we'll make a note and, and visit it at the next break or at the next you know box setup. But ultimately, I'm I'm more concerned. My top priority is don't don't blow this up. And anything that supports that, please, nobody get hurt, nobody get in an accident. Um, and then you know we're going to lose people in the sense that they get too far behind, they can't get to a op area fast enough, and that's going to happen. That's all fine, but we're gonna we're gonna work around that. The things that you can't work around are like arrests, public fights, car accidents, like those things are hard to come back from and, and still do a successful operation. And, uh, you know, accidental confrontations, accidental encounters, we don't want things yeah. like that, which has happened as well. Um, uh, on a couple of our, on one of our ops for sure. Um, I think one of the guys were just too close to him and he got confronted in the middle of the street in the middle of like sunset Boulevard, which was nuts. I'm like, is he getting out of his car? Yeah. I, I could tell you exactly what happened. Rule number one, Day one stuff. This is like the eye that is watching the target leave a fixed location does not under any circumstances go with the target from his position, right? His fixed position. If the target leaves, he doesn't move. He is just the eye. He calls out things that the target's doing and stays put because movement draws the eye. Now that guy left the uh, property mounted and saw that vehicle go with him, that's just day one stuff, dude. That's just, and that blew the op. It did. Even though we tailed him for like three, four hours, that blew the op. Yeah. And he became, he got pissed. Yeah. And then he got out of the car and tried to, tried to, tried to, he stepped in front of traffic. So this target, just a quick little background, followed this guy for three or four hours, starts doing some janky moves, goes to pick up somebody, and then gets pissed because he sees the same car that pulled out with him from the target, from the, uh, from the first location and parks his car on the side of the road, steps into oncoming traffic and, and charges our teammates vehicle. And this is the same guy who followed him from the, from the, from the property. When I drove by, I was like, I, I came over the radio. I'm like, Hey, Hey, did the target just dismount? Is, is the target confronting our guys? I'm like, everybody wave off, get the hell out of there. And, uh, he, we waved off and the guy and uh, one of our, our teammates pulled around and the guy ran down the street through the intersection and approached him at the window and said, you know, starts yelling at him. And I can hear him yelling, oh, from, yeah, <laughs> knocking on the window. What's your problem? What are you doing? And it's just like you break the rules, you break the basic day one rules. You're going to have those kind of problems. We also are very aware that the target is sometimes very aware. You know, we talk about counter surveillance and how are they driving and what are they doing and do they know or may not even know that we're behind them, but they live a life where they are constantly checking. It's not because they've got in a vehicle and gone, oh, they're, someone's on me today. They've, they do that as a daily routine because they know in their, their minds that they are doing something they shouldn't be. So therefore, it, it's a built-in thing. So they're little things that we have to pick up very quickly as well and change our plan. And I mean, we actually were successful that night, but in a... Roundabout way. Yeah, roundabout way. Yeah, he ended up grabbing the primary target that night and drug us back to the the primary, like their their uh, residence or whatever. It Again, if we have a lot of fun when we're doing it, but the adrenaline is going and there's a lot on the line. And the last job actually that we did, because um, you mentioned, you know, sometimes people get left behind. 
and it's not a problem, it's just a fact of life. And I know the last job that we did, and I think you were crewed with Harrison, um, I got stuck in Santa Monica traffic. I think there was counter surveillance being done, if I remember, and then I'm I'm literally 15 minutes away when you execute what you need to do, and I'm like, I hope it went well. Fuck. Yeah. <laughs> like you miss out on all the action, but it's just well, well done, everybody. <laughs> yeah, it yeah. sounds good. I'll meet you up after LA traffic, <laughs> I guess somewhere. Yeah, yeah, and it's that moment. Like you're so deflated. There's nothing I could do. There was no way, and local knowledge is also useful with with roads. Um, but you feel so deflated because that adrenaline and the rest of the team are on it, and you can hear everyone on the comms, and you're like, I want to be there. This is what I do. But reality is that sometimes happens and, you know, I got there and you guys were all kind of chilling by the car. It's all done. Where, where were you? <laughs> I mean, they were breaking some laws. Because we were down, we ended up, uh, I think, down two vehicles, possibly. I think they were just dragging. And um, you didn't show up until <laughs> well after we put them to bed. Um, but because we were down so many vehicles, there was a couple of dudes breaking, like doing, you know, going against one ways and taking some, taking some serious risk. And I was like, guys, I don't know if this is worth it. Uh, you might want to take it easy. Let's pump the brakes a little bit, but it was necessary. Quite honestly, it happened numerous times. We would have been, we were, it would have been terrible had we not had a couple of guys take some, take some risk. And, and again, it's back to that risk assessment, but you can't, you get in that moment and, you know, we, Obviously, we all want to make sure that we don't have to do that. But you get in the moment where your target is your—that's all, all you focus on, because this is your job, and that's he's stopping him or her do whatever. And and it is hard to to sit, you know, behind the, the traffic or not go through that red light because then, especially you know, places like LA where you you miss them at one light and they're stuck for the next. 10 minutes they they're gone you know but yes we do try and keep the law right dry always yeah it's 100 percent. i never i don't think i've ever broken broken the law i've been accused of it numerous times but <laughs> i don't think i've ever actually broken a law <laughs> there's no doubt that dre is a natural leader in any operation he's part of whether he's guiding younger less seasoned operatives or using technology to infiltrate criminal organizations He's an invaluable part of our team, and we consider him family. Join me next episode as we go into the mind of a stalker and the impact they can have on their victims' lives permanently with psychologist Dr. Eldi Tabori. Until next time, I'm Nina Hobson, and this has been Codename Siren. Siren.